Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. As cardiology works toward a shift from episodic to continuous care, telemedicine and wearable technology will play a large role in getting there. In just a few days, cardiovascular experts from around the globe will make their way to the American College of Cardiology's 67th Annual Scientific Session and Expo. Today, I will be speaking with two experts who will be presenting at the conference. We will be discussing the integration of data from wearable technology into the electronic health record, as well as utilizing telemedicine as a way to promote greater collaboration between the patient and their physician and healthcare system. Dr. Jagmeet Singh is the Associate Chief of Cardiology at Massachusetts General and a Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. He works as a cardiology electrophysiologist, monitoring patients with heart rhythm disturbances and treating them with device therapy and catheter ablation techniques. With many of his patients having implantable devices that carry a wide array of information, Dr. Singh looks forward to the data from these devices making their way into the electronic health record, citing an opportunity for continuous care that will not only improve patient outcomes, but will also lower costs. So what do you think is in store for 2018 in regard to telemedicine and cardiology? So, you know, I think that's a a loaded question. Um, Let me start by saying that um, there are a lot of things that still need to be done. Uh, Many of our patients, uh, you know, have implantable devices, uh, at least the ones I deal with, uh, and many of these devices carry extraordinary amounts of information. um, And I'm hoping that uh, 2018 uh, will involve many of these variables finding their way into the electronic health record. Um, Also, additionally, as uh, I think all of us know, Many of our patients um, wear uh, a lot of these wearable devices, which have the ability to capture significant sensor information uh, that can help us monitor and treat these patients better. Uh, And I'm hoping that, you know, over the course of 2018, some of these devices that have been FDA approved can find their ways into the electronic health records and help us monitor and manage these patients better. So to get some perspective, what are some of the current available wearable and implantable technologies for these patients? Absolutely. So, so starting with the implantable uh, technology, uh, you know, what we conventionally implant uh, are pacemakers, our implantable defibrillators, uh, our implantable devices that deliver something called cardiac resynchronization therapy. Uh, and there are also uh, more recently uh, uh, devices that are commonly implanted known as implantable loop recorders. Uh, all these devices have uh, different sensor strategies embedded within them and can capture different kinds of information. But uh, just to give you a sense, uh, an implanted uh, defibrillator can uh, not only give us information about heart rate, uh, but it can also in some in, in situations give us an idea what the respiratory rate is, uh, what the temperature in the body is. Uh, it can give us an idea of what the physical activity is of that particular patient, uh, along with other integrated information. Uh, 
basically these devices are implanted to monitor the heart rhythm. So they can obviously give you a heart rate uh, and they can give us a sense of certain autonomic measures which are derived from the heart rate. Now, having said that, there are a host of other wearable devices um, and these wearable devices, uh, each of them usually has one or two sensors that give us, uh, I would say, organ-specific data. Uh, just to give you an example, uh, there are wearable devices that can specifically give us heart rate or blood pressure information. Uh, there are others that can give us uh, information related to sleep or sleep apnea, breathing patterns. Um, and there are some devices that are also now there which can actually give us information regarding blood glucose level. Uh, so there are a host of devices, uh, wearable devices, um, and, and many of these are, I would say, in their early phases or, or are being used by people, but they're not necessarily FDA approved uh, because there's some question about the reproducibility of the measures from these devices. The only one that uh, you know, I think many of us in cardiac electrophysiology that use uh, frequently that is FDA approved is the Alive Core uh, device. And this is actually a device that has an app that is integrated into your uh, smartphone, and uh, one can actually record one's EKG off that app uh, and know if one is in an abnormal heart rhythm or not. Uh, and this information then can be converted into a PDF file and transmit it to the doctor uh, or the healthcare provider. And accordingly, then uh, appropriate interventions can be made. Uh, I, I think this is FDA approved and will eventually find its way into the electronic health record. Uh, and I'm, I'm guessing that some of the others, after they get validated in clinical trials, uh, will also find their way into the EHR uh, that can then help us better manage patients. So if all of this information that's taken from these implantable and wearable technologies is implemented into EHRs, how will this lead to a shift from episodic care to continuous care and continuous communication between doctors and their patients? You know, that's a really good question. And, and I think I would like to emphasize what you said is that we need to gravitate from transactional care to uh, continuous care, you know, we usually see our patients on three months, six months, and 12 monthly basis, uh, but we do know that, you know, that illness doesn't follow these intervals, and it can occur at any point in time. So having some strategy to continuously follow our patients actually um, makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I think there are already ways of remote monitoring these implantable devices. Uh, that allows us to continuously monitor our patients. Um, for example, uh, the implanted devices have certain parameters that we can uh, preset, uh, that is the presence of an abnormal impedance within the device or a presence of an abnormal heart rate or rhythm, uh, as a result of which the device can send out an alert that remotely gets transmitted to us electronically, and we can see this on our computer, uh, that the patient is having an event or there's something that is out of whack. And then accordingly, then either, uh, either the doctor or the nurse practitioner or the appropriate healthcare provider can then reach out to the patient uh, to make an intervention, but not wait for the three-month or the six-month or the 12-month visit, but actually do it on a more continuous basis. 
So, so I think you know there are many nuances to continuous care, and I think uh, there are many logistical challenges to it. Uh, but it is a culture change that is gradually, I would say, uh, infiltrating uh, practice of medicine, uh, and it's something that we will have to get used to. So, as you mentioned, through this continual surveillance, it seems like doctors will be able to more efficiently intervene when needed instead of, like you said, waiting for three, six, or 12 months. So how will this have an effect on patient outcomes? And in the long run, do you think this will actually help cut costs because there will be less readmissions and hospital use? Oh, I think so. That's, you know, that's a rhetorical question. I think your answer is embedded in your question. It is uh, absolutely spot on. So let me just exemplify that the healthcare expenditure in the United States is, uh, is exponentially growing. And three out of every $4 is spent in looking after patients with chronic diseases. Uh, the chronic diseases in cardiology, especially from the electrophysiology perspective, are, are patients with atrial fibrillation and congestive heart failure. So if you can have interventions that can actually prevent uh, uh, an episode of congestive heart failure that leads to an admission, uh, it would have a significant impact on healthcare resources um, and reduce readmissions, uh, as you alluded to. Uh, there is evidence uh, from uh, already some studies that have been conducted via remote monitoring uh, that have suggested that patients who are monitored remotely tend to do better than patients who are not remotely monitored. Uh, these not only help us in diagnosing any you know, major issues with the devices, but also in terms of whether these patients are going to become unstable uh, and need uh, hospitalization for that uh, so that the intervention can be made at home. Uh, and oftentimes these patients don't necessarily need to pay a visit to the ER or get admitted. Great. So is there anything else that you think is important to bring up or mention? Um, I, I, you know, I think... Uh, I think there's going to be a, uh, an evolution of a lot of things uh, in the near future. I think medicine might actually become, uh, I would say, a lot more complex before it becomes exceedingly simple. Uh, and, and during that period, I think we will constantly second guess our, ourselves as to whether this digitization is, is the right strategy. Um, I think it's going to be important for us to recognize that uh, uh, we, we need to kind of keep the human spirit prevailing over all this technology and really need to be able to keep that human touch. Because as the integration of um, variable and device data uh, becomes integrated with, uh, with the electronic health record, as we start risk stratifying and managing these patients with you know, artificial intelligence strategies in the future, um, I think it's gonna be so important that we uh, maintain our human touch. Uh, but then again, that's a while away uh, before, uh, you know, artificial intelligence really uh, via different machine learning strategies uh, it provides us with uh, better strategies to take care of patients. Uh, but I think we need to pay attention to the fact that we should not let the technology uh, prevail over our human spirit. Dr. Alfred Beauvais is an emeritus professor of medicine and cardiology at Temple University Medical Center in Philadelphia. In 2009, Dr. Beauvais was the president of the American College of Cardiology. In recent years, Dr. Beauvais has found interest in patient communications, 
doing research in telemedicine in order to create communication systems for patients to their healthcare systems. According to Dr. Beauvais, the use of telemedicine was moving slowly for a number of years. However, the use of telemedicine is now gaining more traction, in part to the development of large healthcare systems, as well as the emphasis placed on prevention, patient participation, and value-based outcomes. So right now, what role does telemedicine play in cardiology? And in recent years, how has this changed the way that physicians are interacting with their patients? Well, in, in my own research, we were working uh, on methods of uh, managing high blood pressure, that is hypertension or hyperlipidemia uh, or heart failure using uh, telemedicine. And this would be the patient having access to a, a um, well, let's say a, a web-connected tool that they could report the status of their health, their blood pressure, or whether they're breathing okay, and things like that. And that information would go to the healthcare system. Uh, a physician or a nurse would look at the data and send the patient a note back. Uh, again, this is all through internet. Uh, send a patient a note back that said, everything looks good and keep doing what you're doing, or we don't like some of the data and here's some suggestions, or call us and uh, come in to see us in the office. So the system, the telemedicine system was a patient to um, a patient to physician or patient to healthcare system where the patient could communicate, report their status and get information back on uh, without uh, making a telephone call and waiting to talk to somebody directly. This was uh, all what we call asynchronous. That is the information was sent by the patient and the healthcare system or physician or nurse would look at it and send uh, not exactly at the same time, maybe a, a couple hours later, a response. So the asynchronous system uh, of communication was used in some of our research to show that we could improve blood pressure by that kind of a communication and improve heart failure symptoms, for example. Uh, so we, over the years of doing this research, thought this was going to be a a major contribution, but we were we were basically a little bit disappointed in that it didn't catch on immediately. And I think part of the reason was cost, because uh, this would be a cost to a healthcare system to maintain this kind of a system. And the reimbursement system is a, a fee-for-service system, so that there's no real way to build in uh, reimbursement for this kind of a system. Uh, without adding more expense to the healthcare. What's happening now is we're moving toward uh, quality-based uh, outcomes, and um, I think we're going to see healthcare systems looking for ways to improve the quality of care without raising the cost. And this would basically be a, a perfect application for the telemedicine type of uh, system. So we've, we've developed these systems over the last 10 or 15 years. We've used them in research applications. They work well, uh, but at this point or prior to this point in time, the reimbursement system doesn't support that kind of a, of a care system. It seems like with this, the patient and their physician or their healthcare system are in constant communication. So have you seen that this enhances patient outcomes? Well, yeah, and we've done we've done several uh, clinical trials, randomized trials, where you know half the patients were using the communication system and half were doing the usual care, and we did 
see uh, definite improvements in, in blood pressure. In one study, we were able to lower blood pressure with this kind of a system. Um, and in the, um, the number of exacerbations of heart failure so that patients didn't have to go into the hospital as, as often because they were able to communicate their clinical status with the healthcare system, usually a nurse, and um, get advice on, on how to respond to that. So it does work, and uh, we've shown, and others have done the same in clinical trials, that you can improve healthcare with this kind of a model. Uh, the, the, the big issue right now is, is how you get large numbers of people to engage in this kind of a system and who's going to cover the cost of it. And that's kind of what's being debated in healthcare right now is how you cover the cost of a large, uh, a large care system like this and minimize costs. So we see telemedicine as um, finding its way into value in the next couple of years as we go to value-based uh, reimbursement. So does this also play a role in a patient's self-management in regard to prevention or the treatment and management of their disease or condition? Well, that, in fact, I think is uh, where we see the ultimate um, goal of this kind of work uh, headed. And uh, if you think about it, uh, for example, with high blood pressure, a, a physician doesn't have enough time to manage a large number of patients with high blood pressure. A nurse oftentimes will do it. And um, a nurse communicating with telemedicine to look at blood pressure every now and then, let's say once a week or once every two weeks, and sending information back to the patient by telemedicine that says, everything's fine, keep your medicine up, or we need to make a change, and here's the recommended change. This could all be done offline uh, by a non-physician and um, be able to handle a larger number of patients uh, without having the doctor have to get involved in every one. And uh, this, as we run into more and more uh, difficulties with access to physicians because of increasing workloads and, and shortages of doctors, this is one solution to maintaining high-quality care without having the doctors see every single patient every time. So you mentioned that a reason that telemedicine hasn't taken off is because of the cost. But do you think that with this constant communication and collaboration that this would have an effect on readmissions and hospital use and in turn actually lower costs? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's one, that's one way you could save money. I mean, we've done studies with heart failure and showed that the readmission rate goes down in patients using the telemedicine system. And in our, uh, we've also done uh, work with some collaborators in um, COPD, you know, chronic lung disease, also showing that that kind of a communication system lowers the number of hospital admissions. And so um, from the standpoint of the acute care, there's, there's clearly a benefit uh, in that population of patients. But, you know, if we talk about hypertension, where there's, you know, many hundreds of uh, patients or many millions of patients with hypertension uh, and lowering the risk of heart attacks and strokes in that population using this kind of tool is even more uh, valuable, although it's not quite as obvious as improving the heart failure um, readmission rate. Great. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think is important to mention or bring up? For a lot of um, a lot of care, and I'll use hypertension and high blood pressure. I mean hypertension and um, 
hyperlipidemia uh, are things that need to be watched over long periods of time. They don't infect the patient early on. The patients often are unaware of the fact that they have high, high blood pressure or high cholesterol. And somebody needs to take a look at that every once in a while. You know, let the patient know that, that their numbers are either okay or not okay and get some advice on lifestyle management and some other things on how to deal with that. Uh, one of the things I had mentioned in the, in a, in the article that we published with uh, the American College of Cardiology was the fact that we don't need a physician to do that. We probably don't even need a nurse to do that. What we need is a, is a, is a trained, what I'll call a health coach that could look at the data on a large number of patients, decide whether it's acceptable and let the patient know, maybe do that once every two weeks or once a week, and then if it's not acceptable to pass the information up the line first to a nurse and then to a physician if it becomes more difficult to manage. So I had suggested that in the future when we get larger numbers of patients that are communicating with their health system offline, that um, a trained health coach might be able to handle at least half of the patients if they're uh, just having surveillance of their cholesterol numbers or surveillance of their uh, high blood pressure numbers, for example, don't need a doctor to do that unless the numbers are way out of whack, way out of whack. And I think as time goes on, we're going to see more use of non-physician um, uh, healthcare assistance just simply because of the, of the workload that's involved in providing one-on-one -on -one care for everybody.